Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. For the second week in a row, I've decided to let religious holidays and calendars dictate what tree I'll talk about. In the Celtic religious tradition, the year is split into 13 months known as the Oam Moons, each moon named after a tree or herbaceous plant species. I'm going to try and make several episodes coincide with the month that trees have named after them. The first month is from December 24th to January 20th, and is called the Birch Moon. And if you're looking at your calendar right now, you'll realize I missed it. So I'll just have to cover it at the end of this long series. But the second month, called the Rowan Moon, is from January 21st to February 17th, and we are right in the middle of it. So this week's episode is about the Rowan, also known as the European Mountain Ash. This small tree is found across Europe and Northern Asia, and according to Celtic and Nordic religions, the Rowan contains magical properties. Let's talk about what this tree is, and what makes it so magical. So what does a rowan look like? Similar to the pomegranate, this tree is small and is often found in a more shrubby form. But it absolutely can be grown as a small tree and can reach heights from 20 to 50 feet or 6 to 15 meters tall. In that tree form, it'll have a single smallish trunk and a fairly wide spreading crown, kind of like an umbrella. And that crown is made up of compound leaves. Now, this is the first time I've talked about a tree with compound leaves, so I'll briefly explain what that means. Rather than just having one singular leaf coming from a leaf stalk, a compound leaf has several leaflets attached to that leaf stalk. So if you see one of these, each leaflet isn't its own leaf, but all of them together on the stalk is considered one leaf. In the case of the rowan, one leaf can have as many as 19 long oval leaflets. There's a few evolutionary advantages to this, like being able to have a spreading canopy to capture sunlight while decreasing your overall surface area to minimize water loss. It's also useful for localizing and minimalizing damage to the leaf. The Rowan's spring flowers are quite lovely. Just like how the leaves are a cluster of leaflets, the flowers also form in clusters. They are a creamy white and tend to bloom from late spring into midsummer, which I really love. Spring is my second favorite season behind fall because I love looking at nice flowers, and the longer they stick around before the cruel heat of summer burns them away, the happier I am. It's definitely a nice ornamental feature. They're very much worth planting for the flowers. The fruits are also born in clusters. What a surprise! All this clustering really gives the rowan a bushy appearance, even in its tree form. But these fruits are small orange-red globes. They look like little berries and are often referred to as such because berry is a familiar word. But they are, in fact, pomes. As I mentioned in the pomegranate episode, pomes are fruits with a fleshy exterior and a tough cartilaginous interior that protects the seeds. So these fruits are more like apples in composition than blueberries, despite being closer to the latter in size. You wouldn't want to eat these raw anyway, they're pretty gross. But you can cook them into something more tasty, like a marmalade. Otherwise, leave them to the birds. 
And birds loving these fruits so much actually led to the tree's scientific name, Sorbus ocuparia. Ocuparia is from the Latin ocups, meaning bird catcher. And while it is true that people who are bird catchers or fowlers by trade have been known to use rowan fruit as bait, the name is also in reference to the trees themselves catching a lot of birds who want to eat that bright red fruit. Sorbus is the mountain ash genus. There is around 100 species in it worldwide. When I worked as a botanist in northern Wisconsin, my next-door neighbor had an American mountain ash, Sorbus americana, in his front yard. But these trees aren't related to ash trees at all. The nickname is just in reference to the mountain ash having compound leaves that look like the compound leaves of the ash. Sorbus doesn't even mean mountain ash, it means serviceberry. And to make things more confusing, there is a separate genus of trees that are commonly referred to as serviceberries. I feel like I'm starting to just name things in circles, so let's, let's take a step back. The rowan is in the rose family, rosaceae. The rose family contains several economically important and well-loved plants and trees, like roses, obviously. But a lot of well-known fruits belong to the rose family. So think about your favorite fruit for just a second. Okay, if your favorite fruit is a tropical fruit or citrus, then it's actually not in the rose family and this little test didn't work at all. But if you thought of apples, pears, peaches, apricots, plums, cherries, strawberries, blackberries, or raspberries, all of those are in the rose family. The family itself is split into four subfamilies based mostly around the differences in fruit type. So the rowan is more closely related to other poem fruits like apples, pears, and those other service berries I mentioned which are called amelanchiers. Even though you likely won't find rowan fruits or jams on store shelves, at least not in the States, I don't know if that's common elsewhere, um, it does find itself in good company. And it doesn't even need to be as economically important because, like I said, this is a magical tree. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Thomas, you're a pretty science-focused fella. Is this tree really magical? And the answer to that is yes. End of story. Uh, I'll not be having any debate about this point at all. And while we're here, all trees are magical, actually. Even the thorny ones that I don't like, though I suspect there's more dark magic in those. Anyway, Celtic tradition dictates that the rowan is chock full of healing and protective powers. The protection power is honestly a pretty common theme for all trees. This is my 10th tree, hooray, and the third alongside the aspen and the banyan to significantly hold such symbolism. But maybe such widespread symbolism exists because of the protection magic in the trees. As for the healing magic, the rowan has a history of medicinal and herbal applications, most of the success of these remedies are due to the rowan fruits being so high in vitamin C content. By today's standards, vitamin C may not seem like medicine, it's just a vitamin, but prior to medical knowledge becoming so basic and common, vitamin C would be a great means for treating a number of ailments, most of which are caused by vitamin C deficiency. 
but there are other magical aspects of the Rowan. Strong Rowan sticks were used to divine the location of valuable metals in the ground, like how Witch Hazel is used as a dowsing rod to find water. Rowan wood could be crafted, of course, into protective charms. This could be protection from sneaky demons, nightmares, or bad vibes in general. And its all-purpose magical nature made it a good choice for making magic wands. In regards to its place in religious symbolism, the Rowan is associated with the Celtic goddess Brigid. Brigid is one of the more powerful Celtic deities associated with a number of things like healing, poetry, fertility, and fire. You know, things that obviously go hand in hand. During the Rowan Moon, there is a big festival for Brigid called Imbolc that takes place on February 1st and 2nd as a sort of halfway point between the winter solstice and spring equinox, nicely coinciding with the release of this episode. Imbolc is supposed to celebrate the coming of spring, similar to Tubishvat. But if y'all could push your spring celebrations a little later in the calendar, that would honestly be super great because it is still cold in much of the northern hemisphere. Anyway, Imbolc is... well, I'll just say it, it's a pretty pagan celebration. Some of you may be thinking, well, all of this sounds pretty pagan. But it's a word that's often used negatively, and I'm trying to be respectful of other cultures by not using it in that context. That being said, this festival is usually celebrated with bonfires and reconnecting with nature. So, yeah. As is tradition with history in general, at some point Christianity swooped in and was like, yes, well, it does look like you are all having quite a bit of fun, but uh, let me just change some things to make it our thing now too, you know? So the goddess Brigid was replaced by Saint Brigid, one of Ireland's three patron saints, and Imbolc was replaced with St. Brigid's Day to celebrate this nun's charity and agricultural knowledge. Another holiday that got the old Christian switcheroo was the Roman holiday Februalia, which took me so much practice to learn how to say. This became Candlemas, and eventually it seems to have been smushed with St. Brigid's Day. They take place on the same day and have similar practices of lighting candles. In the original Imbolc celebrations, you would light candles at little effigies of Brigid. But this is where things get kind of funny. When Candlemas was celebrated in Germany, there was this proverb about badgers peeking out of their holes on Candlemas Day, and if there's snow, he'll walk about, but if it's sunny, he'll go back in the hole. Does this sound familiar? Well, it should, because another holiday that started in 19th century Dutch Pennsylvania is Groundhog Day, where people summon a woodland critter to declare when the transition of seasons should occur. Guys, if you didn't see the pagan connections before now, then I'm at least glad that I drew out this timeline for you. I won't say, explicitly, that Groundhog Day is just a modern interpretation of the Celtic Imbolc Festival for the Rowan Moon, but if you believe it, then I'm not going to disagree with you. Getting back to the Rowan Tree, I want to jump over to its place in Nordic tradition, or Norse mythology, you know, Odin and Thor and Valhalla. In Icelandic culture, there is a proverb that says, the Rowan is the salvation of Thor. This comes from a story in the Prose Edda about Thor killing the giant Girid. This story is weird because of a few details. So I'm going to be vague with the wording of those details to make it less weird, but still give you the implications. So Thor was on his way to kill Girid because his father Odin told him to kill all the giants, and Thor wanted to be Papa's good boy. But the giants knew that Thor was coming, probably because he was yelling and boasting about coming to kill them. As Thor was crossing a stream, Girid's daughter Yulp stood over the stream, 
and uh, made it flood. Um, and not with water. If this isn't getting the situation across, Thor threw a big rock at a certain part of Yulp's body, saying, quote, A river must be dammed at the source. Anyway, as Thor was being swept away by the current, he saw a rowan growing on the shore with its branches hanging over the river. Thor was able to grab on and, despite being a little shrub, was able to pull himself to safety, and then proceed to finish killing all those giants. But because of this event, the rowan is seen as being holy in the Nordic tradition. Across Europe, we see the rowan playing significance in a variety of folk customs. In Finland and other Baltic countries, the rowan was thought to be the mother of all plants. It is said that the goddess Rauni flew down to earth and saw that there were no plants. Understandably, she thought this was a bummer. So her partner Uko, the god of skies and thunder, zapped her with lightning, and that made her give birth to a rowan tree, and all of this makes sense in mythology. From that rowan tree, all other plant species in the world descended. Wherever this little tree seems to be, it comes with big stories. It even makes an appearance in Lord of the Rings, and if you know me as a person, then you know how much I love Tolkien's world. In Chapter 4 of The Two Towers, titled Treebeard, the Ents are meeting to discuss if they should go to war against Saruman and Isengard. While they discussed in length, one Ent named Bregalad, or Quickbeam, who had already made up his mind, looked after the hobbits Merry and Pippin. He took them to his home, where a circle of rowan trees surrounded a mossy rock. Quote, There were many rowan trees in my home, said Bregalad softly and sadly. Rowan trees that took root when I was an Enting, many, many years ago in the quiet of the world. The oldest were planted by the Ents to try and please the Entwives. But they looked at them and smiled, and said that they knew where wider blossom and richer fruit were growing. Yet there are no trees of all that race, the people of the Rose, that are so beautiful to me. And these trees grew and grew till the shadow of each was like a green hall, and their red berries in the autumn were a burden and a beauty and a wonder. Birds used to flock there. I like birds, even when they chatter, and the rowan has enough to spare. But the birds became unfriendly and greedy and tore at the trees and threw the fruit down and did not eat it. Then orcs came with axes and cut down my trees. I came and called them by their long names, but they did not quiver. They did not hear or answer. They lay dead. In the modern day, use of the rowan is mostly limited to ornamental planting, for the lovely spring flowers or to attract birds, though there are absolutely still people in the modern day who practice the old Celtic traditions and see its original magic value. Rowan wood is dense and can be used to make carvings or tool handles. The fruit is sometimes made into liquor in different parts of Europe. Rowan is a rather popular boy's name these days as well. It's been found in top 500 lists for the past 15 years. Whether you believe in magic or not, you can't deny the magic that the Rowan has brought to this world. One more thing that the Celtic Brigid was goddess of was inspiration. And it's clear that the Rowan has inspired many people throughout history. When you feel small in this world, be inspired by the Rowan. A small tree with big stories. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. 
The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter at MyFavoriteTrees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>